0: Amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, I missed last week uh, intentionally. We took the Sunday off. It was really the first Sunday off I've had in a year since being in Phoenix, uh, outside of our, our third child being born. And so we just set out to take that Sunday off to rest as a family, but also to get out of the weeds a little bit. And to see, as your pastor, to see what God has done, what God is doing, what we hope he's going to do in the fall, in this coming year. And let me just tell you, I missed you. Uh, and not even just as your pastor, like I miss preaching, like I miss being on stage. I missed just being with my church family. I missed my kids being dropped off in this kids ministry. I, I don't want to be a part of any other church. <laughs> I, I don't want to attend any other church. I want to be here. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad that we have people like Zach and others who can take the load while I'm not here and glad to be back with you this morning. As we get started, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to share some uh, stories of two families in our church who are going through the process of adoption. And so I'm going to ask the Neals and the Salongas, both of you guys, to go ahead and come up to the stage. You guys give them a hand as they come up. You guys can come over here, just to the right. And so long as, won't you start us off? Just so you guys know, um, adoption not only demonstrates the love of God, but it's a reflection of his love, as he adopts us into his family. And so these are two key couples in our church who love Jesus, uh, who love you guys. And so we just want to share their stories. We want to help them, celebrate with them, pray for them. And so I just asked them that they would come uh, and share. And so that's what they're going to do now. And so, Mark, if you guys would just introduce yourselves, the names of your current kids, and kind of this process that you're on, and maybe how these guys can help.
1: Um, So my name is Mark Salonga. This is my beautiful wife, Megan. Uh, We currently have two kids. Uh, Mason and Maxon. We, we didn't bring them up here because we wouldn't be able to get through this if they were up here. Um, they have fun in kids'
2: ministry.
1: Yeah, they, and they love kids' ministry here. Um, do you want to kind of tell them how we got started?
2: Sure. So we were kind of led um, on our adoption journey um, through a series of loss. Um, our third um, pregnancy actually ended in miscarriage, and six months later we were found um, that we were pregnant again, and it actually ended up being a rapidly growing tumor. Um, I was uh, faced with about eight weeks of chemotherapy treatment, and um, through that, I just was really praying that God would just kind of reveal what his plan was for our family, and um, about that time, we just couldn't shake uh, the thought of adoption, and we really just prayed about it, and um, talked to our community group, and just kind of shared our hearts with them, and um, we started researching different agencies and countries, and um, our hearts were just really drawn to India. Um, the amount of orphans there is just huge, and um, kids are just and babies are abandoned due to different special needs and um, just for simply being born a girl. Um, so. About three months ago, we were actually matched with a beautiful little girl who is two years old, and she's um, in southern India, and we're just really excited to be able to bring her home.
1: Yeah, and and really how you guys can can help our family is just continue to pray for us. Um, This process started a little over a year ago, and, and if we're lucky, it'll end a little over a year from now. So it's it's definitely a marathon, um, and you know some of the blessings that we've, you know, uh, that we've seen throughout this process is really um, understanding the gospel a little bit better uh, through the, the microcosm of adoption that that our family's going through. Tim kind of explained, um, you know, that adoption is is, um, is a good representation of God's love, and we, we've seen that. You know, having loved a child through this—you know—through the paperwork process, not knowing who she is, um, and then you know pursuing her and, and, and doing—you know—a lot of things to jumping through lots of hoops to, to to get to meet her, and then to finally see her face and and just to know the joys that that God loved us like that. God loved us before He's seen our faces, and and uh, just really strengthened our our walk in uh, in uh, our faith with Jesus. So. Um, so, yeah, for, for us, just, just pray for us and also pray uh, that the Spirit, um, you know, re- just reveals a heart of adoption uh, in your guys' lives. You know, our culture has uh, a good picture of what family should look like in, in, in the U.S., right, where you have your own kids and, and you have, you know, as many as you, know, you feel um, blessed. But in reality, there's, there's tons of orphans out there. There's, you know, millions of orphans. And, you know, one of the things in, in, in James, it says that, that, I guess, I'm going to paraphrase, but basically, um, visiting window, widows and orphans in affliction is a good representation of love. So we just pray that you guys um, open your hearts to that.
3: That's awesome. Thank you guys for sharing. Hey, I'm Corey. This is my wife, Kelly. My four-year-old, Marcus, who's been a little shy. Or maybe he just can't see in the lights. I don't know how you do this, Tim. I can't see anybody. It's pretty rough, yeah. (laughs) I'm trusting somebody. You all look good. Trust me. Yeah, great. Uh, And this is our little boy, Benjamin. He just turned one. Um, Very smooth adoption. Uh, Very (laughs) heart-wrenching. Tough adoption that went through. So um, they're all different. Um, Our current adoption journey um, has been up and down as well. Um, We were approached by an agency a few months ago just asking if we would be willing to adopt again. Um, They just did not have families that were willing to accept um, minority children, and obviously we are. Um, uh, So we prayed about it and ultimately decided that we would go um, through that process again. You have to start all over uh, with the home study and jumping through all the hoops. Um, We expected to have um, possibly a baby girl up here with us this morning or very soon. Um, and that's what you find with adoption. It's a lot of really high highs and a lot of really low lows, Um, and currently just a low time for us. Um, (laughs) We don't really know what's happening with the adoption right now. Birth mom kind of is in the wind, so to speak. Um, She could come back. We don't know. She might have already had her baby. We don't know. (laughs) Um, So we're just praying through that right now. Um, And, you know, the reality is that there's so many kids and so many, Uh, minority kids especially that need families that um, even if this one doesn't work out for us that there'll be another family, there'll be another birth mom real soon uh, looking for a family willing to accept her child. So, um, We're happy that that's the case a little bit because we get matched quickly all the time Um, with Marcus. We were matched almost immediately after we were approved. Same thing with Benjamin. but it's also sad, you know, there should be more families out there willing to um, accept children that look differently uh, than they do, because they're really cute. It's a good thing they look <laughs> different than I do, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but God's been teaching us a lot through this. Um, oh, sorry. Um, just about um, being patient, uh, waiting on him, and, um, you know, Tim didn't ask me to do a plug for community groups by any means, but... Um, you know, it's really important to have that going through this, just having people you can lean on um, and ask for advice. And, um, yeah, so that's just where we are right now. Ben thinks that's right. <laughs> yeah, you can hold on to that. Just,
0: yeah, give him a clap for that, yeah. Well, thank you guys for sharing. Let me, let me just pray for you guys. Um, pray you can pray with me uh, as we pray for their process. Father, I thank you for um, Corey and Kelly. I thank you for Mark and Megan. I thank you for their hearts that represent the Father's heart, that represent your heart, uh, to see people, and especially kids, adopted into a family. And God, I pray that you would make provision for that. I pray for this long as, as they've gone through a really long process um, already and still have some work to be done, and that you would just each step of the way that they would enjoy it. Uh, as they see the, the picture of their little girl, they would enjoy that as they see and think about what they're going to get her and where she's going to sleep and how she's going to interact with the other kids, that they would enjoy just that anticipation as they get nervous and uh, maybe some anxiety around that. God, you would just comfort that uh, in the only way that you can with your peace. And God, I do pray that you would bring it quicker, that they would would know when they're going to bring this little girl into their home and that the assimilation would go great. I pray that um, they would just be blessed by this process. I pray for the Niels. Um, just getting a text from Corey last night saying, Hey, just an update. We're not sure we can't hear from the birth mom. And so I just pray for that process. I pray for her. Uh, I pray that you would take care of her and take care of the baby if it's been born or not. Um, and God, I pray that you would give them a peace to know that it's, if, if it's this one, then fantastic. That's your will. If it's not, then you have something else. And, um, God, I just pray that you would make provision for them. I pray for both of these couples, that you would teach them, shape them, that we would, as a church family, we would come alongside them. And so even uh, today, that some of us would come up, pray for them again. Even today, some of us would come up and just give them a package of diapers, uh, that we would just be there and, and come alongside them and do this with them together. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Give them a clap as they take a seat. Well, we, we celebrate that, one, like I said, because um, it's a representation of God's love and how he adopts us, but we also celebrate that specifically because these guys are in our family, right, the Neals, the Salongas, they're, they're in our community groups, they're in our church family, and so uh, we don't do things in isolation, right, we do things together, and so you may not raise their kids, right, <laughs> maybe some of you will, it's uh, a neat invitation, um, But you can come alongside them, pray for them, support them, ask them questions, and and do this process together. And so we love that. So we want to celebrate that as much as we can. We have baby dedications coming up on September 13th. We want to celebrate new life as much as possible as a church. And so as we get into the sermon and kind of transition into that, I would guess something that all of you have in common is a smartphone. I imagine you have one in your pocket right now, right? Turn it off. Um, I imagine most of you have a smartphone. In fact, Pew Research says that reportedly about two-thirds of our country uses smartphones. And it's amazing technology. It's a good thing. It's beneficial in many ways. But the improper use of them can hurt you and hurt others. I remember a couple months ago, my wife and I were taking a walk in central Phoenix. And we're just talking and walking. And we see these two cars driving up next to one another. And one of them's a police car. And that police car is driving really, really aggressively, really close to this car. He's staying parallel. Think an episode of Cops. And it was intense. And so we're watching, thinking, like, what is going on? Is this a? Is he chasing like a criminal or a robber? Like, is this a high pursuit chase? Like, what's happening? And then the next moment, here's what we see in here. We see the cop grab his megaphone, and through his megaphone, he says, "Get off your phone." <laughs> it was amazing. Like One of the most amazing things I've ever seen. He just called it out, right? The person was on their phone, and he just called it out and said, get off your phone, right, in that moment. But you see, there's multiple responses that he could have had right there. Because there's multiple responses to texting and driving. And some of you know this. The first response is you can participate in that. You know who you are, right? The second response is you can passively sit by and do nothing. The third response is you can grumble about it to everybody you know. You know who you are. Or you can address it head on, in the moment. You know, as awesome as that was for us to see that, as awkward as it was for that other car, it was the most loving thing that cop could do. Why? Because he addressed it in the moment. He addressed the improper use of something good, smartphones are great, but the improper use of it that could hurt them and could hurt others, he addressed it in the moment because that's the most loving thing you can do. And it's the same with sexuality. Sexuality is a good thing that everybody deals with on some level, but if it's used improperly, it can rob you of your joy, it can hurt others, and it can offend a holy God. And while it's tempting just to participate in a distortion of it, While it's tempting just to sit by passively and think, well, let's not say anything. Let's not ruffle any feathers. While that's tempting, the most loving thing we can do is address it in the moment. That's the most loving thing we can do. Because a distortion of sexuality, it hurts people. And it offends a holy God. And so the goal this morning, we're going to talk about sexuality. The goal this morning is to do that lovingly. It's not to be condemning. It's to do it lovingly, to call out what Scripture says is sin, and to be pointed to his created and beautiful design. So that's where we're headed. If you have a Bible, grab it now. Head to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can also look on the screen with me as well. We're going to start in verse 1. It says this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Finally then, brothers. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So if you haven't been with us, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica. It's a church he started, a people that he led to Jesus along with Silas and Timothy. If you want to read the backdrop of this story in Thessalonians, go read Acts 17. We've talked about that a little bit, about how these guys were literally turning the world upside down. That's what it says in Acts 17. Because they were proclaiming Jesus as king. And so Paul and these guys start this church. And what's interesting is you see that the first three chapters are basically an introduction. He's long-winded. It's basically an introduction. It's a welcome. It's a thanksgiving for their faith. It's an affirmation of how they've been faithful to Jesus. It's an affirmation, what we went through last week, of their community and their relationships with one another. And so what we have in chapter 4 is a pivot point. It goes from introduction and affirmation to a challenge. To what we see in the text is Paul is urging them to do something. Look at the text. Verse 1, the first thing we see is that this is a family discussion. It's a family discussion. Verse 1, he addresses these new believers as brothers. And then he says that they are in the Lord Jesus So they are a family united in Jesus. That's who he's talking to. And he's asking them and urging them to do what? Look at the text. That they would please God. And that they would do so more and more. And so we want to ask the question, how? How do we please God? And we're going to see in the rest of this passage. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, it says this. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So how do we please God? Verses 2 and 3 start off telling us there's instruction, there's the will of God, and it centers on this word sanctification. Sanctification means set apart, holy unto God. This term sanctification and holiness is used three times just in this passage. Practically, in the Christian life, you should think about it this way. It's a moving away from something, and it's a moving... Towards something, So the whole of our Christian life is just that. It's a process of moving away from sin and the desires of the flesh. And it's a moving towards the desires and the design of God. That's sanctification. So if you know Jesus, that's the process that you are experiencing and you will till you die. And the first thing that Paul urges them to move away from, so we move away from something, verse 3, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So what does that mean? One translation says all sexual sin. The word in the original language is the word pornea. It was a broad term to address any sexual behavior that was outside the covenant marriage between a man and a woman. So what is that? That's sex before marriage. That's adultery. It's lust, as verse 5 goes on to talk about. And it's also homosexuality. So here's what I would say. Because we're not going to spend all our time on this. This specific area of homosexuality is being talked about in every medium in our culture. The government's talking about it. Our media is talking about it. You guys are talking about it. Your friends and family are talking about it. Everybody has an opinion. And so as a church, we need to talk about it. As your pastor, we need to talk about it. Because we need to go to scripture and talk about it. We need to talk about it with grace And with truth. Because honestly, the conversations that I'm in, they're not often laced with grace and truth. They're missing at least one of those components. And so as we talk about sexuality, I knew this was coming down the pipe. I knew chapter 4. I knew this topic would come up. And I just thought, man, we can't just address sexuality and not address one of the biggest issues that we're talking about in our culture. Because I need to, we need to as a church, we need to teach one another How do we respond to this in light of who Jesus is, in light of grace and truth? And so we're going to dig into it just briefly this morning. While Paul doesn't address homosexuality specifically right here, it is addressed in three other places in the New Testament. Romans 1 is probably the most extensive. It gets into it, talks about it a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 6, it just lists it as a sin amongst other sins. First um, Timothy 1 does the same. Those are the three primary places in the New Testament. And the summary of that, and what we see is that homosexuality is a sin. That's what we see in Scripture. But it doesn't stop there. Because God is a God of love. He's a just God. He's a holy God, but he's a God of love. So he doesn't just call out sin, but he lays out his beautiful design. And so even if you look at those passages and you're like, I'm not really sure, let's just look at the whole of Scripture. Let's just look at his whole design. Genesis 2 talks about marriage between a man and a woman. 1 Peter talks about a man honoring his wife, Jesus, in Matthew 19. Says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Ephesians 5 talks about husbands loving their wives and how it's this beautiful picture of the way Jesus loves his church. So, this love, this covenantal love between a man and a woman that we see throughout Scripture, that's God's beautiful design. And it's bigger than just you and me, it's bigger than our opinions. Right In Ephesians 5, we see that it's a representation of the way Jesus interacts with his church. It's bigger than just two people. It's the way Jesus interacts with his church. It's the way Jesus loves his church. It's a beautiful design. So is homosexuality a sin? You need to know in the most loving way possible, yes. Yes. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. I want you to hear this. No matter where you are along this spectrum... Homosexuality is a sin, not the sin. Does that make sense? Homosexuality is a sin, it's not the sin. And so as we talk about this in our culture and people on both sides of the spectrum say cruel things to one another as as Christians come out and just post things online, as they protest and do all these things that are cruel to people they don't even know, that's not the goal. The goal is to lovingly present that this is a sin, but it's not the sin. It's not the focus, and it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus hammers on divorce, on adultery, on the lustful heart and mind. Scripture altogether speaks strongly, honestly about things, to be honest with you, that we are flippant about. Like We get really riled up about a few specific sins that maybe some other people we know do, but greed... That's not that big a deal. Gossip, everybody does that. I'm just being honest. I'm just saying what I think. But God is serious about lots of sin. God is serious about all the ways that we distort his created design in sexuality, in every aspect of life. Why? Because God is holy and God is just and God created us to operate in his design that can be beautiful. And so here's what I would say. If you were here this morning and you identify as homosexual, if you were here this morning and you struggle with same-sex attraction, maybe I've already lost you in this. I hope not. But if you're still tracking with me, here's what I would say. I love you. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you've entered into these doors. I love you. But more importantly than that, Jesus Christ loves you. So much that he gave his life for you. I want you to hear that. And so what is my desire for you? I'm going to speak the truth to you in love. That's why we're doing this this morning. I'm going to speak the truth to you in love in conversations, private conversations that I have had already. Publicly, as a church, this is where we're going to stand. But it's a sin, not the sin. If you've ever felt condemned and singled out, that's wrong. Okay? Okay? I love you. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. So we want, as a church, we want you to know Jesus. We want you to follow him. I want you to participate in his greater story of leading others to him. That's our heart. I want to be clear about this. Is it a sin? Absolutely. We believe that. In a loving way, we believe that. But we want to partner with you. We want to help you see Jesus and who he is and follow him. That is our goal. That is our desire. And then I want to speak to just any Christian that's here today. Any Christian that's here today. As you think about, how do we respond? How do we function in this society, in this current climate that we're in? How do we do that? You need to know that the the calling card of the Christian is this. Love. Love. It's to love other people. Luke 10 talks about it. To love our neighbor. Jesus talks about it. Luke 10, we see the Good Samaritan, and we learn that everybody is our neighbor. Like, we try to single out, well, maybe they're not my neighbor. Maybe they don't qualify. Everybody is your neighbor. No matter the religion, no matter their view of sexuality, they are your neighbor we love. John Calvin said this, whatever a person may be like, we must still love them because we love God. Why do we love our neighbor? Why do we love other people who think differently than we do? <laughs> because that's exactly how God has loved us. We oppose God at every level, but God loves us. He gave his life for us. If you know Jesus, that's what you do. You love. So, how do you respond? You love. Listen, if you're hateful on either end of the spectrum, you have missed the Father's heart because God loves. God loves those who oppose him, and we should do the same. The second thing we need to do is speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. We need to love people enough to speak. We need to love people enough to speak. There's multiple ways that we distort God's design for sexuality, and we don't like to talk about it, right? We need to talk about it. We need to talk to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors. We need to talk about it in our community groups. We're going to do that this week. And listen, you can't skip. Like you got to come. we got to talk about this. Listen, if we don't talk about it with grace and truth, then all there is going to be is the chatter online, the protest, the signs, that doesn't reflect Jesus. And so listen, we need to speak the truth, and we need to do it in love. We need to talk about this. We need to reflect Jesus as we do that. Why? Because God has a great plan for our sexuality. We need to talk about what that looks like in every sphere, with every person. And that's Paul's heart. That's why he's addressing it. As we see this pivot point, as Paul begins to urge them to do something, it's not an accident that he starts with this. Because Paul knows how crucial this area is in our lives and how so often we can get off the rails. And so as we continue in this passage, we're going to talk about what that Looks like more than just that one issue. We're going to talk about what this looks like as a whole. So look back at the text with me. Verses 4 and 5, Paul talks about some other ways we distort sexuality. He says not controlling your body and diving into passionate lust. Listen, I know that we just talked about a hot-button issue, but this is where you shift your focus from other people, from the issues of our culture. You shift your focus to your own heart and life. That's what I'd ask you to do as we continue. Verses 4 and 5, not controlling your body, not diving into passionate lust. So We need to ask. You need to ask. How do you struggle in this area? How do you struggle in controlling your body? How are you doing in the area of lust? Lust, you need to know, is the opposite of love. It's the opposite of love. Maybe you kind of equate those things sometimes, at least functionally in your life. You live that way, you need to know that lust is the opposite of love. That love says this I extend myself out to care for you. That's love. That lust says this I'm gonna take from you and use for me. That lust is the opposite of love. And so Paul is calling this out this distortion of sexuality. And some of you are sitting there thinking right now, of course, like this is what I've heard my whole life sex is bad, ignore your desires. Christianity is sexually oppressive, not keeping with the times. Some of you are are thinking that. This is what I've heard my whole my whole life. Listen, what you need to understand is that God loves sex. And we said this in our Proverbs series. That God loves sex. And because He loves it, I love it. And because I love it and Christians love it. We love it as a church. So Phoenix Bible Church loves sex because God loves sex. It's a good thing. It's not oppressive. It's the most liberating, enjoyable gift that God has ever given us. It's his idea, and it's a fantastic one. Within the confines of covenant marriage between a man and a woman. You see it in Scripture. Read the Song of Solomon. Read Paul, the same guy who writes this, talking about sexual immorality and distortions. The same guy who writes that in 1 Corinthians 7 says, don't deprive one another. Why? Because sex is a good thing. Proverbs 5.18 says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. This is in the Bible. Some of you feel dirty even listening to that. Like some of you have read that passage, stumbled upon it in your quiet time, and your spouse comes in and you're like, I should put that away. <laughs> you feel embarrassed reading the Bible. Listen, God loves sex, and you should too. Within covenant marriage, it's a beautiful thing. The distortion is what God hates. That's sexual immorality. The distortion is what God God hates. And so it's like saying, if I said, I hate drunk driving, and you come back at me, and you're like, dude, what do you have against cars? No. I love cars. They're great. Driving fast, slow, different colors, truck, car. I, I love cars. What I hate is the misuse of cars that hurts other people. It's like saying, I hate child abuse. And you come back at me and you're like, dude, what are you, anti-kid? What do you got against kids? They're, They're beautiful. They're cute. You just saw them up here. No, it's the exact opposite, right? I hate child abuse because I love kids so much that I don't want to see them get hurt. See, God loves you. God loves sex so much that he hates the distortion of it. Because he knows that that robs you that it hurts others, and that it offends a holy God. So maybe you're thinking, like, I think we've been at church almost a year. We've talked about sex now three times. (laughs) Maybe you're thinking, like, what's the obsession with sex, God? Like, why do you talk about this so much? It's because he loves it. He loves you. He wants you to operate in his design. He wants to line you up with how he created it to function. Because it can be a beautiful thing. If we don't listen to God, if we choose to go our own way, things go bad. And we see that in verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says this, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, in sexual immorality. Because, why? The Lord is an avenger in all these things. If sex is used improperly, it brings harm to others. It brings... God's wrath in the end. Listen, this title of this series is what matters in the end. Listen, here's the testimony you never hear in the end. You never hear somebody come up on stage at the end of their life and say, "This man, I've been distorting sexuality so long, and you would not believe the benefits. I mean, it's it's so great. I mean, goodness, the adultery." the lust, the sex outside of covenant marriage, I mean, the fullness and the joy and the meaning that I've experienced through that, you would not believe. I can't even describe it to you. You never hear that testimony in the end. Why? Because sexuality in the end, while it may be pleasurable to distort it in the moment, if you distort it for a lifetime, it will rob you, it will take from you, and it offends a holy God that his wrath is coming for these type of things, that he is an avenger because he wants you to experience his design, his perfect and good design. But some of you know that you haven't experienced that. Some of you have felt this pain that I talk about. You felt robbed. Maybe it wasn't your doing. Maybe it was somebody else's doing. Maybe it was out of your control. Maybe that's you this morning. You need to know that God loves and God restores. restores, That there's no sin that he can't forgive. That there's no brokenness that he can't heal. That nothing is bigger than the cross of Christ. But if you choose to continue to go to these distortions, if you in your own proclivity and will, your own volition, you say, I don't know if you have the best in mind, God. Maybe I know a better way. I'm going to go to this adultery, I'm going to go to this lust, I'm going to go to this homosexuality. If you choose to say that, you need to know that it's going to end badly, and some of you have realized that. In adultery, in abuse, in isolation, in bondage, in addiction, you have experienced the pain of sexual immorality firsthand. You see it in our culture, you see it in our life. Can God heal it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to follow him. We need to get in line with the way he has created the universe to function. And and Paul is pleading in that way. Verse 7, look at the verse. Paul says, don't go there, that it's not God's design for you. He's called you not for impurity, but in holiness. He says in verse 8, don't disregard his plan, that it's his plan. These aren't words from men to oppress you. This is God's design. It's it's from him. So if we don't listen to this, we're not listening to God. There's a holy way that God has designed us to function in our sexuality, that sexuality can be beneficial to you, it can edify others, and it can glorify God. That sexuality, if we operate under God's beautiful design, it can respect others, and it can reflect God. And so how do we run away from the distortion and the wrath, and the sin, and how do we go towards God's beautiful design? What does that look like? Maybe you want to experience that. Maybe you want to hop out of this lifestyle of sexual immorality. How do you do that? I just want to get practical for just a moment. There's two things broadly that we do. We, we move away thing, from things that distort. We move toward God's design. And so what does that look like? First, we move away. And so that flirty relationship with a coworker that's not your spouse, you change departments. Listen, you quit your job if you need to. It's that serious. You walk a different route to the cooler. You change offices. You do whatever it takes to avoid that situation. You tell that person to shove off. You say, well, that's kind of rude. It would be better to be rude to them than to be rude to God. It would be better to be rude to them than to be rude to your spouse. Don't dishonor them to try to just be nice to someone else. So run away from those kind of situations. Accountability. Get software on your devices. Have people that you talk to that ask you hard questions that you trust. Have people like that that in your life. If you're in a dating relationship, talk about it. Listen, if you're dating someone, if you're in this room, Don't just wonder, like, I wonder where she is on this. I wonder how far he would go physically. And then maybe we'll just see at 11 o'clock at night when we're sitting on a couch. Bad idea. All right? Talk about it. At some point in your relationship, if you're the guy in the relationship, bring it up. If you think, well, that'll make things awkward. If that makes things awkward where it prevents you guys from being together, you don't need to be together. Because you're pursuing A relationship that's going to lead towards sexuality in God's created design. So you need to talk about how do we pursue that rightly and lovingly between one another. So you need to talk about here's where we're going to go, here's where we're not going to go. So you need to move away from things that distort. The second thing is you need to move toward God's design. You need to soak in scripture. You need to load your mind with thoughts of God daily. You need to be around his people. You can't do this alone. Listen, as much as there is in our culture that distorts, that will deceive you. Satan will deceive you. Your own flesh will deceive you. You need to be around some other people who know God, who love him, and are pursuing sexuality in a holy and righteous way. There's a song, I need thee every hour. Oh, I need thee. I need thee. I love that song. But I think the one part I would change is it's not just I need thee every hour. I need thee every second. As we think about how to move away from this distortion and move towards God's design, you need to load your minds with thoughts of God. You need to be around his people as much as possible. If you're not married, you need to pursue a spouse. You need to pray for one. Listen, I don't know if you've read some books or grown up in church that maybe told you not to do that, but you need to do that. Listen, God knows your heart, right? He knows you want a spouse. Tell him that. Talk to him about that. Some of you have heard the analogy, at least I did um, growing up, that really in Christianity, uh, pursuit of a spouse kind of looks like this that you're just running the race and you got the baton in your hand, and that you just look over at some point and you see somebody running right next to you and you pass them the baton. That's stupid. You need to chase after the person with the baton. You need to pursue it. Don't do it in a creepy way. Like get some godly people around you to say like, okay, here, that was, yeah, don't do that. Uh Oh, Do that, yeah. Ask her out for dinner. You need to pursue. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to deceive yourself. Talk to God. Ask him to help you wait patiently as you pursue a spouse. I mean, I would love to see in our church, we have some singles in our church, I would love to officiate just tons of weddings. And that would be beautiful to see God join people together in His beautiful design, to celebrate sexuality. Pursue a spouse. If you're married, make it a priority. Make sex a priority. That's the heart of First Corinthians says that don't 1 Corinthians 7, don't deprive one another. Listen, I know there are crazy seasons, but find a way. Find a way. There's been crazy seasons for my wife and I. We've been married nine years this Wednesday. It's our ninth anniversary. Thank you. And we have three kids. And so um, things are a little bit crazy, right? Things are a little bit chaotic. Date nights, all those other things are a little bit harder to figure out now. Jaya, my wife, has just been pregnant a lot. Nine years, three babies. Do the math, right? Right? And so there have been times, specifically in those seasons, we look at each other, and we're tired, and we're going to bed, and she's uncomfortable because she's preggo. And we go to bed, and we're like, man, we have neglected our sex life. And we're honest about that. And so we had to get at a point where we said, hey, we're going to make it happen. We're going to find a way. And so sometimes we would cuddle when she was pregnant. We had to do it like this. But we made it happen. You need to make it happen. You need to find a way. If you're married, you need to talk about sex. You need to talk about it. You need to have a conversation. You need to read a book about it. If you're not sure what it looks like to be God-honoring and joyful in your marriage, maybe you've never seen that expression or heard that expression, there's books that talk about it. Read it as your devotional before you go to bed. I highly recommend it. Go on dates. Go on vacations. Listen, talk to a counselor. If you have a past that just brings up pain every time you think about sex, things that have been done to you, things that you've done to other people, seek help. Come to us. Come to me. Go to a counselor. Talk about it. It's that important. It's that serious. Do what you need to do. Make it a priority in marriage. Some of you are thinking that's helpful or that would have been helpful a long time ago, but I'm off the rails. Like, I've gone too far. And here's what I would say to you is that um, Jesus is a really big God. That Jesus died for sin once for all. Listen, he's not going to do it again. He's not going to come back and be shocked of like, I didn't know he was going to do that one. I didn't know his life was going to be like this. Jesus died for sin once for all that today you can repent of that sin and you can turn to a God who restores you and you can experience this loving design that he has for sex. Romans 5 says at just the right time, Christ died for you while you were still weak. So some of you might say, I'm not strong enough. Well, I would say this, you're in luck because you're exactly the person that Jesus came to rescue. If you're weak in here this morning, And you need to celebrate. Jesus came for you at just the right time. While you were weak, he died. He gave his life for you. And this is personal for God. It's personal. He didn't just give you commandments. He didn't just give you helpful stories in scripture. He gave you his only son to die a gruesome death on the cross, in your place, for your sin, for your distortion of sexuality. It's personal for God. And so where are you in terms of sexuality? Where are you this morning? Are you walking in God's design? Are you living out a distortion? Where are you? We need to ask that question. If you're walking in that distortion, there's good news for you. It's the gospel. I remember the first time that I really grasped the gospel That my sin is far worse than I could ever imagine, but God's grace is far greater than I could ever dream. I remember the first time that that hit me that I said, Could God really be that good? Like, could God really be that good to take all my sin, all my brokenness, all my distortions, even in my sexuality, to love me in the midst of that, to pursue me and to send Jesus to die for me so that I could have life, so that I could move away from this distortion and move closer to his design? Could God really be that good? You need to know that the answer is yes. It's yes. It's yes in your life. No matter what distortion you've been living in, it's yes. How do I know? Because it's personal for God. He sent Jesus. He gave his life for you. He rose again in victory over sin, death, and the grave. So that you wouldn't walk in that distortion. It's personal. It's not just a commandment from a God who doesn't understand. It's not just a story in the Bible. It's a personal God who loves you, who's holy, who wants you to walk in his design. It's not too late. So this morning, if you're in that distortion, here's what I would say. Is you, you stop listening to me. You start talking to Jesus, that he loves you, he died for you, he rose again for you, he's coming back for you. Give your life to him. If you know him, you would confess and repent and say, God, I've been walking in an unhealthy distortion of my sexuality, and I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not strong enough, and that scares me, but you are. You're strong enough. You're big enough. You're that good, amen? Amen. He's that good. Turn to him. Pursue him. Pursue his design for your life and pursue his design for your sexuality. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the ways in which you pursue us in the midst of difficult issues in our life like sexuality. God, I know that there's men and women in a a room this size that have been impacted by this in a negative way. God, I pray that your grace would be tangible this morning. That your grace would be supernatural this morning. That these wouldn't just be trite sayings. That these wouldn't just be pithy truths that they feel like they've heard their whole life. That they would be real, right where they are. And that, God, you would, in a real way, let them know that there's no brokenness that you can't heal. That there's no sin that you can't forgive. That there's no human being that you can't restore. That that's available to us this morning. I thank you for pursuing us like that. I thank you that you're a God like that. That you're that good. Not because of us, but because of the cross of Christ. That's a really big deal. God, help us to celebrate that. Help us to repent of where we miss this. And help us to pursue you and your design for sexuality. God, I pray for this church. I pray that there would be men and women in here who get married. I pray that there would be men and women here who who stay married for 20, 30, 60 years. That we might be able to celebrate legacies of this. That it wouldn't just be words on a page. But we would live it out. To benefit ourselves. To edify others and to glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray for that. Amen.